Now, um, I may not look like it, but I played high school football. Uh, not well, uh, but I did play. And so it was interesting, those four years of playing high school football in South Texas, um, we wanted to be really good, but we were small, but we were slow. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't really a good combination. Some of you guys will get that later. Um, but it, it wasn't a great combination. But I have a lot of memories. I'm glad I played football. A lot of, a lot of things that I learned from it. But one of the things that was interesting, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know anything about church. And so the first practice, we all kneeled after practice, and there was this prayer recited. Well, I came to find out later it's the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the model prayer. But you know, when you're first doing this and everybody seems to know what it is and you don't, you're just kind of like, you just, you just kind of join in that way. Over time, I learned that prayer. But you know what it was? It was just rote memorization. I just, every time after practice, I said it. I wasn't a believer. This is just the tradition. This is what you say after practice. And so I just did it over and over again. And it was interesting that even as I went to college, there's a tradition at AM where, you know, every month uh, there's, a, there's a solemn ceremony where you uh, basically honor those Aggies that have passed away that past month. And, and so at the end of that, we would all get back together in the dorm and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. This kind of a traditional thing. But what happened is it led to some wrong ideas for me. It led to this wrong idea that, that prayer is just kind of this mindless repetition. There's no real relationship. And so I just kind of thought as an unbeliever, well, this is kind of how you do prayer. You just say these words and that's how it goes. And it's interesting because there's a principle here that when you don't spend much time with somebody, you end up, whenever you see them, talking about the same old things. You don't see them very often, so it's like, well, how's the weather? Or did you see the game yesterday? You kind of get locked in to this, this kind of small sphere. But that's not how the Lord wants it to be with us. The Lord doesn't want us to just kind of every time we talk to him, however often it is, is just the same old things, the same old prayers, the same old situation. You see, prayer is to be a real communication with us and the living God. And so you know that your spouse or your children, that you talk to them often, so there's a variety of issues you talk about. There's, there's some central things that maybe you're talking about, maybe with your student, it's like, well, how was school today? Fine, right? Well, I need a little bit more than that because your grades online don't say that it was fine, right? You have that stuff. So you know the more time you spend with somebody in real relationship, the wider the communication comes the more subjects that are covered, the more issues. So, so as we've been through the Psalms for over two years now that we've been in the Psalms, some of you are like, is that all it's been? <laughs> it feels much, much longer. I've loved going through the Psalms so much because it's a reminder that there's really nothing off limits to talk with God about. There's all kinds of things that we're gonna talk with God about. There's all kinds of ways that we're gonna feel. We're gonna have high highs and we're gonna have low lows. All of those things. So in Psalm 143 today, my, my hope my, is, is that we would all be reminded that there's a lot of themes that we can cover in prayer. And so as we move through Psalm 143, what we're going to see is actually 12 different kind of, I would say, subjects or themes that we can discuss with the Lord to remind us that prayer is much bigger, much larger than me saying certain things, than me going and I need to go through my prayer list to intercede for these people. Intercession is good, but if prayer is only intercession, it becomes kind of lopsided. Or I'm only going to praise the Lord in prayer, and I'm never going to ask for anything for myself or for others, or, or whatever just different ruts we can get into. We want to remind ourselves that prayer is really big. 
because God is really big and a relationship with him is really big, it, in fact, it's gonna last for, as, for eternity, so we might as well get used to having this big relationship with God. So I, I wanna begin here in Psalm 143 with our first theme, our first subject, and it's a, rec- a request to be heard. A request to be heard. So you can go to God in prayer and requ- request if I could say that, request to be heard, to ask him to listen to you. So notice verse one, it says, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications, in your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Sometimes we just jump into praying, and it just is like our mouth is engaged and our brain is shut off. We just do it. And so taking time to say, hey, God, would you listen to me right now? Would you hear me right now? And so I love this. David asked God to listen and to hear. This is a reminder that when we pray, we're praying to a person. God is a person. I, I wanna, one of the most excellent books on kind of helping us grow in prayer and, and think about the Lord rightly is A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. If you haven't read The Pursuit of God or if it's been like a week since you read it, I would encourage you to read it again. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, this is what he says in that book. He says, God is a person, and in the deep of his mighty nature, he thinks, wills, enjoys, feels, loves, desires, and suffers as any other person may. The continuous and unembarrassed exchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of the New Testament religion. So it's this, this not, not just an idea, it's not just a principle, it's the reality that when you're speaking to God, you're speaking to a person. Now the theologians in the room may say, well, Steve, you're actually talking to three persons uh, because we serve a triune God, one being yet three persons. You guys know where I'm going, okay? What I mean is, is God has personality. You only have personality because God has personality. You're only a person because God's a person. And so think about the excitement that, that comes when we begin to grab hold of this and realize uh, when I'm talking to God, I'm talking to a person who, who thinks about me, who loves me, who wants the best for me. I'm talking to an individual who I disagree with at times and I butt my head against, but he loves me too much to give in to my wayward ways of doing things. So, so what happens is it becomes vibrant. And if our v- relationship with God is vibrant, then what happens is that pours out into all of our other relationships. It's, it's no mistake that the most interesting person in human history was the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one's had a better relationship with the Father than the Lord Jesus Christ. The more that you and I grow in relationship with God, the more interesting we're gonna become. The more loving we're gonna become, the more vibrant and interesting we'll become. And, and so let's, I wanna reread now the second part of verse one here of Psalm 143. He says, in your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. This is really important. David comes to God focusing on God's faithfulness, focusing on God's righteousness. If you go and you think that you will have the hearing of God because of your righteousness, because of your faithfulness, just go talk to your spouse and see. (laughs) Your your spouse will let you know that you're not faithful, (laughs) that you're not righteous, that we don't have any kind of right to come to God on our own. But the good news is God's righteousness, God's faithfulness will bring us in. And so if you're kind of struggling with that, I would encourage you to reread the book of Hebrews 
and see about how it's the righteousness of Christ, it's, it's who Jesus is that has opened the door for us to have this relationship, this vibrant relationship with God. So prayer is fundamentally about who God is as a person. We can come to him because he's good, because he's loving, because he's faithful, because he's righteous. When we have relationships with individuals in life, what happens, we often have to kind of figure out how are they doing today or before we talk to them. Now, it's not everybody, right? Some people are always awesome. Uh, people like me, not always awesome, right? And, and so you, they, someone might come to me, you know, my students at school, and they kind of look through the window, and they're kind of judging by my face uh, that day. Should I ask him for an extension on the homework today, or is another day a better day? We understand that. God's not like that. God doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed because we're told that the God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He can't get up on the wrong side of the bed because he doesn't sleep. And, and so it's important for us to understand that God's always the same. We're the ones that are changeable. We're the ones that are messes. We're the ones that have good days and bad days. He's not like that. So don't transfer your messes onto God. Realize he always wants to hear from you. He always wants you to draw near. He's always willing to bring you back in to fellowship. All right, let's move on to our second theme here. Um, we're gonna find this in verse two, and that's Humility. Humility is, is a great theme in prayer. Verse two, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. So David, as he's coming, David says, Lord, I don't want justice from you. There's a lot of talk about justice, right? Oh, we want justice. We want, please don't ever ask God for justice. Because justice is, is death and hell. That's, that's what we deserve, so he's not asking for justice. He says, God, you know that I'm a sinner. You know that all have, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know that no one, if you were to count sins, no one could stand. So I don't want justice. What, what I want is I want you to, to, to just kind of let me in because of who you are. And so this idea of this um, reality of humility, when we come to God in humility, it's gonna do two things for us at least. Number one, it's gonna cause us to ask forgiveness for ourselves. When we have a right view of ourselves, we'll come to God in prayer. We'll say, God, would you not judge me? Would you forgive me because of Christ? Would you forgive me because of his finished work? Would you, would you wash my feet once again because as I walk around in this world, I sin? And I, I've said some wrong things today. What, Lord, your word says that in the multitude of, of words, sin is not lacking. And so when we do that, that's humility. But here's what happens. When we ask forgiveness for ourselves, then that transfers into us asking um, for God to forgive other people. Lord, would you forgive them for that? And so then that brings up, so we're asking forgiveness for ourselves. We're asking God to forgive others. Then the only right thing for us to do after that is to be willing to forgive others. When we don't forgive other people, it's because we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven. It's a great parable Jesus gives in Matthew's gospel about this guy who owed an unpayable debt to his king. The king lets him go. And as soon as he's let go, he gets another guy who owes him a hundred bucks. And he's like, I'm going to take you down. And God says, that's not how we do things. Jesus says, no, if you've been forgiven an unpayable debt of sin, who are you not to forgive other people? And so it's important for us to kind of work through these things. As we come to God and see him rightly, this humility allows us to ask forgiveness for ourselves, to, forgive, uh, to ask forgiveness for others, and then to forgive others from our hearts. Let's see the, the next um, theme of prayer here in verses three and four, and that's desperation. Desperation is a theme 
when we come to God in prayer. Notice verses three and four. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. And so it's interesting. I, I see a lot of guys online and they've got fancy suits and they've got huge churches and they're like, God always wants you to be happy and healthy and uh, God always wants the best for you and find the champion within and all this kind of stuff. I wonder, have they read the Psalms? In all honesty, because if we go and we only cherry pick certain verses of the Bible and say, well, that's what my life is gonna be like, I'm not going to have hard times, I'm not going to have difficulty, then we're going to be really, really overwhelmed when hard stuff comes. And so we need to remind ourselves, you know what? I'm going to be desperate in prayer sometimes. Sometimes I'm going to be on the ground, going to need somebody to help me back up, (laughs) but I'm going to be on the ground, upset, overwhelmed, crying, because life is really, really hard. So it's a reminder, life in this fallen world will be overwhelming at times. Not maybe, will be. It will be. It's going to be overwhelming at times. And so I I love what David wrote in Psalm 61 verse 2. He says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. So even when David is like, he feels like he's far from God, he's far from everything. From the end of the earth, I'll cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And, And so let's just come to grips with this. Now, now, I'm not saying because, again, my own sinfulness, my own pessimism, I'm not saying go around and be like, well, I'm going to be desperate at times. Might as well be desperate at all times. You know, I might as well have no expectations because then I'll never be disappointed. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, hey, we have hope. God's going to work it out. But you know what? Difficult times are going to come. It's hardship, right? If, a, if a soldiers go to war, they realize when they go to war, not everyone's coming back. That's just the reality of going to war. So it is for us. As we go out to battle in this world, we realize, man, I'm gonna get shot at. Things are gonna happen. There's gonna be casualties. That's the reality. So don't use difficulty as a reason to not go to God in prayer. Don't say, well, I'm desperate and I'm overwhelmed and God has not fulfilled his thing that I want him to fulfill. Therefore, I'm just gonna withdraw myself from him. That's the worst thing you can do. When you're desperate, when you're overwhelmed, go to him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's the time you need to go to him most. When, when, thing, when the bottom has fallen out of your life, go and get in his presence. And, and be honest with him. Don't, don't make up stuff and say, God, I just, I just love what you're doing right now. I love how my life is more miserable than it's ever been. Please just <laughs> keep it going, Lord. Don't lie to him. Be honest, be desperate. He can take it. All right, let's go on to our next one. This is remembrance. So this is our next theme is remembrance. Verse five, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. And so remembrance. Now, um, you know, people rightly make fun of me and my family because I cry a lot. I, I cry more than most people I know. And one thing that I can't do is I can't, you know, go back and look at all these pictures of my kids when they were little, because I'm going to run out of tissues, right? That's, and so, so there's certain things that we can just kind of remember in such a way that we can kind of really bring ourselves down. But what we need to do is, as we go to God in prayer, we need to remember 
the time that we spent with him. We need to remember how he's delivered us in the past. We need to remember these wonderful things that he's done. So, so that's what David is doing here. He says, I remember the days of old. Not in such a way like, you know, Uncle Rico, right? Like I could throw this football over those mountains and all that kind of stuff. Not that kind of remembrance. Remembering how when I was a sinner in college, God convicted me of my sins and drew me to himself. Remembering that, remembering how God loved me enough to pull me out of that pit in the midst that I was in to save me, to remember those sort of things. Remember what he's done. And then notice, to meditate on it. Meditating, um, you know, it's, it's that idea of the cow chewing the cud. You know, if you, see, if you ever see a cow out there chewing the cud, it's taking some time. <laughs> it's just really going over and over. That's what he's calling us to do. That word musing means to ponder to think about, huh, I wonder how God made that. and How did he do that thing? I wonder how that worked. All of those things. But what I want to bring out with this remembrance is it's a choice. You have to choose to remember. You have to choose to meditate. You have to choose to muse. It, it's not gonna happen automatically. You know, if you, you're on social media or you're on YouTube, all these kind of things, there's all these algorithms. And if you start focusing on a certain idea, you know, you cl click on YouTube, like on a, on a political uh, YouTube, all of a sudden, all these political videos start coming up. Well, you know what? Something similar happens to us. There's some kind of algorithm in our heart and our soul where whatever we start focusing on, that's what starts pouring in. And so if we choose to not spend time remembering what God has done, then all of a sudden it starts becoming like we don't have any history with God. But if we start to meditate, we start to remember, we start to muse, then what's going to happen? All that, wow, that's right. God's done a lot of things in my life. God's, God's moved in a lot of ways. God's answered a lot of prayers, and that really helps us. Now, speaking of this choice, I, I want to remind you of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So this seeking and setting is really important. Whether we're looking to things that God's gonna do in the future, that he's promised in his word, or we're thinking about um, what God's done in the past, there's an actual seeking and setting. I need to seek after those things. I need to set my mind on those things. I need to make that choice and not just let whatever billboard I see or whatever things comes up on my, on my um, you know, cell phone, that's what fills me. No, I'm gonna choose what to focus on. And so focusing on what God's done in your life and in the lives of others, in the life of you know, the people of the Bible, those are great things to remember. All right, let's move on now. Verse six is fervency. Fervency means passion. And so verse six, it says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land, Selah. I don't have to explain to you living in the Permian Basin what a thirsty land looks like. <laughs> you see the cracks in the ground. You, you see that. You see those plants that you worked so hard to plant in your yard and you thought, I forgot I live in Midland. <laughs> Why did I do this? These need more water. So that's this idea that, that David has this fervency, that he feels like a thirsty land who needs rain. He needs God in his life. So this fervency is a passionate desire for the Lord. One of my favorite guys in all the scriptures is super overlooked. There's a guy um, who's demon-possessed, 
and um, he's, he's out in this region, and he's naked, and he's been chained, but he's possessed by so many demons that he breaks the chains, and he cuts himself with stones, and it's a horrible situation. And so Jesus steps on the scene, and this man says, you know, that he's possessed by legion because there's so many demons. Jesus casts the demons out, and what happens is we begin to fixate on, well, why did Jesus send those demons into pigs? And why did those pigs run off? And we kind of miss the rest of the story. We get it kind of got up and like, why the waste of all that bacon, right? We, we kind of think about those sort of things. But what I love about that story is it says that that man was sitting clothed in his right mind after the demons had been cast out of him. And this is what the man said. He said, can I go with you? The man just wanted to go with Jesus. And then Jesus said something unexpected as Jesus often does. Jesus says, no, no. <laughs> He said, you can't go back with, you can't continue on with me, but what I want you to do is I want you to go back to your city and I want you to tell the people there about the great things that God's done for you. And so it's, it's amazing. So there's gonna be that tension in our lives as believers. There's this fervency to just go home and be with the Lord. And, and whatever, if, if your um, life right now, if your quality of life is not as good as it once was, then there's gonna be that greater fervency. I wanna be with the Lord. I just wanna go home to be with the Lord. Why can't he just take me home? Why can't I just rapture the church? Why can't I just wrap all these things up? That's our heart. So that's our fervency. But what I would say is, don't lose that fervency for going to be with the Lord, but have a fervency to do what God's called you to do here and now. To realize, Lord, I'm a, dry and, I'm a dry and thirsty land, but you allowed my eyes to open this morning. You allowed me to live today. So would you empower me to do what you've called me to do today? Would you do what you promised in John 7 when you said whoever would ask out of his innermost being will flow those rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit flowing out of them. So having that fervency, because God is searching. It says in, in I believe, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of him whose heart is loyal to him. So if we have this fervency for the Lord, God says, guess what? I want to use you. Now, it may not be in the way that you think. It not be, may not be in the way that you expected. But you can guarantee that if, if you have a fervency, a heart to be used by the Lord, the Lord's going to use you. He might not let you go home with him today. He might send you back into the city to go tell others about the great work that he's done, but, but he definitely wants to use you. All right, let's move on now. This kind of ties closely to fervency here in verse uh, seven. It's urgency, urgency. Notice, answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Now, it's funny, even as unbelievers, we've had this urgency. We showed up to school and realized there was an exam that we hadn't, we hadn't um, studied for. Lord, if you'll just help me pass this test, I'll never ask for anything again. You know, that kind of urgency. And so, but as believers, we're gonna have this urgency. We're gonna have a desire for God to answer and, in, and to, to interact in our situation in that moment. And that's okay. So have that urgency. If, if you're really super stressed about a situation, don't put on a face and act like God, like that's no big deal. No, be urgent. Ask him to interact. I, I love what Jeremiah, or this is the Lord through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Again, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. He says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I love that because I can take that verse to any person who's not yet a believer and any, they say, well, I just really want to know God. And I can say to them, hey, if you want to know God with all your heart, you're going to know him. God's going to reveal himself to you. If you really, really want to know God, then, then God is going to reveal himself. God is going to interact with you. God is going to come into your life. But, but why do so many people not ever find God? Well, they don't really want to know him. They, they want to know him on their own terms, or they want him to be kind of manufactured or made into to their way of doing things, but that's not how God works. And so don't be afraid to be urgent in prayer. Don't be afraid to, to just really, I, I guess in a sense, be demanding with God. Because re- remember, God doesn't have to answer. <laughs> so if yours and my urgency is, is not according to his will, he'll work in our lives. He'll change us. But, but it's okay to be urgent. All right, seventh thing we see here, seventh theme, is focus on God's love. Focus on God's love in prayer. So we're going to see this in the first part of verse 8. He says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I do trust, or for in you do I trust. So the, the, what David is saying here is he said, I want to be reminded of God's loving kindness. Remember God's loving kindness, uh, really it's his, his faithful love. And he says, I want to be reminded of this in the morning, right? Um, in the morning, cause me to hear your loving kindness. What does that mean? It just means early. Right? He wants to hear of God's. So, in the first thing in the morning, right, you are reminded of God's loving kindness. It's good. Now, as I was thinking about this and I was going back over my study this morning, it's, it's amazing what kind of things are stored in your brain. And I was reminded of an ad campaign from the 80s from the Army. And they, they said, you know, we do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. And then I thought, am I remembering that correctly? And then I looked, and thankfully on YouTube, I watched the commercial from the 80s about that. If you guys don't remember it, you're just like too young or you're so old, you don't remember things anymore. And uh, I mean, it, it, can, it can happen both ways. <laughs> That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to have somebody like escort me out the back entrance today. Right? But you think about that. There's this whole thing about this army ad campaign of like we get up early and we get after it, right? And we're serving, we're doing those things. And, and that could have, we can have a tendency for that for us. Like I need to get up early and start serving the Lord. It's not bad to start serving the Lord early, but what's even better is first thing in the morning, be reminded of God's love. Be reminded of like, I'm doing all this because God's loved me, because God's called me, because he wants the best for me, all of those things. A, a suggestion along these lines I would have for you is there's a book called Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard. Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard. If you, um, I'll remind you of it afterwards if you want to talk to me about it. But what he does is he goes through Psalm 23, kind of works his way through Psalm 23 in that book. And, and what he encourages people to do is to memorize Psalm 23 and then to go ahead and recite it every morning and recite it every night. So he's not doing a rote prayer thing. What he's doing is actually causing us to hide God's word in our heart and remind ourselves about who God is, his love and provision for us. So I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to memorize Psalm 23 and then start meditatively reading through it, thinking about it. Or maybe if that doesn't work for you, maybe you memorize sections of John chapter 3 to remind yourself of God's love, or sections of Romans chapter 8, or John chapter 10, or other places that speak of God's love. Maybe you need to memorize, you know, Romans, in Romans 5, where it says, you know, God has demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And as you do that, then this, this focusing on God's love, it actually ties back to that other thing of remembrance. You know, and, and you're remembering, you're reminding yourselves of God's love. These are all wonderful aspects of prayer because as you think about those verses, you can pray those verses back to God and say, God, it doesn't feel like I'm loved in this situation, but here's what your word says, and so I'm gonna trust your word. I'm gonna take you at your word. I'm gonna believe that this is true. Let's move on to our eighth theme here, and that's guidance. We see this in the second half of part of, of verse eight. It says, cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. And, and so this is, you know, this is a, a desire for us to be led by the Lord. We need to be led by the Lord. If you don't think that you need leading, then leave your phone at home and try to drive somewhere. What's going to happen as soon as you get to the borders of the town, you're going to be like, where do I go? I don't know. I need somebody to tell me where to go. We've become so dependent on that kind of guidance. And so what we need is we need to be led by the Lord. Uh, we need to ask God to lead. Now, now, we understand that this is not for every single moment, right? Lord, which pair of socks should I wear today? You know, that kind of stuff. I don't think that the Lord wants to guide us to that. We don't even want to guide our kids to that extent. We're just like, put on some socks. I don't want to know which ones. Just do it. So it is for us in the Lord. We want to be led by him, okay? And so and God's going to be able to do that in his own specific way. Let me give you a, a verse that I think is super helpful to remind you of this, to pray through. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Many of you are very familiar with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So just really praying that through. Lord, would you guide me today? Would you lead me? Would you direct me? And I find myself at times, you know, like going a certain direction. I just, this happened to me just last week. I felt really led to go and, and to add an extra like 10 minutes before class to go and over to the staff workroom. Just feel led to do that. I go in there, ended up having this great conversation with the person in there, just happened to run into them. And so that sort of thing, I think God wants to kind of lead us in a supernaturally natural way. As, as we are responding to him, as we want to be led by him, he wants to lead us with his eye. All right, let's look at this next one, our ninth theme here, and that's deliverance. We find this in verse nine. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. So deliverance. Now, uh, so, so David realizes that God is his only hope. God is the only one to deliver him. God is the only one to bring him out of this situation. And, and so this, there's, there's something, um, I don't know, very encouraging about just basically saying, God's my only hope. If I'm going to put all my chips in the middle of the table, and um, if I get out of this situation, it's going to be because God delivers me. If I don't get out of this situation... I guess I'm not supposed to get out of the situation. And, and I love what, what, da, what, sorry, what Peter said about this sort of thing in Acts chapter four, uh, where it's like the, the deliverance only comes through Christ. Peter said this in Acts chapter four, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the only way of deliverance. And so when we've settled that in our heart, then we can say, well, if, if the Lord, you know, he causes me to rise or causes me to fall, whatever it is, I'm going to trust only in him. And there's, there's, a, there's a great encouragement in that. Because if we don't trust in God's deliverance, what happens is we have to be scheming all the time. 
We have to kind of be working out the situation. I've got to do this and get out the, you know, the yellow legal pad and I've got to figure all these things out. But instead, just say, you know what? The Lord's my deliverer. He's my only way of salvation. He's my only way of heaven. So then why shouldn't I trust him in these lesser things? If I've already trusted him for the greatest, then why wouldn't I trust him for the lesser? All right, the next thing we see is instruction. So this is kind of tied to guidance, but it's a little different. We have instruction here in verse 10. Notice, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. So this instruction, I think also I might include here, is having a teachable spirit, is being teachable. God can do anything with a person who's teachable. You know, and and if you've uh, ever taught school, you know that. Like a, a person, if they're teachable, man, we can really work here. If a student comes in and their arms crossed and like there's nothing you can teach me, it's no good. So it is with us and the Lord. When we go and spend time with the Lord, as we go spend time with prayer, I would say, um, spiritually speaking, let's have our arms uncrossed, (laughs) right? Let's go in open to what God would teach us. And so notice what David is praying for here. For his first part of this prayer, teach me to do your will, is praying for doing the will of God. God, I wanna do your will. Whatever your will is, that's what I want to do. And as you read the gospels, this is exactly what Jesus did. Right, Jesus said things like, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So if that was the example of Jesus, when we can't improve on the example of Jesus, we would be wise to be people who say, I didn't come to, God didn't send me to this earth to do my own will. God didn't create me to do my own will. He created me to do his will. And so asking God for instruction in his will. Of course, the word of God is the primary place for instruction. The primary place where we learn what God's will is. Second thing we see here, Um, in verse 10, for he says, for you are my God. Acknowledgement that God was David's God. No plan B, no extra, uh, no, no, you know, like, well, I'm going to kind of hedge my bets on all these things. No, you're my only God. Um, You're the only one I'm going to serve. And then we see here the goodness of the Holy Spirit, right? Your spirit is good. So the Holy Spirit is the one who is, he's referred to in the New Testament as our helper, right? The paracletus, the one who comes alongside to help. He's the one who leads us and guides us, who gifts us, who helps us to bear fruit. And so if he's good and he wants to lead us, the wisest thing we can do is to submit to him. Because if he's good and all powerful, well, then why don't we just submit to what he wants? So the goodness of the Holy Spirit, important to remember as we're praying and as we're living our lives. And then finally here in verse, the end of verse 10, lead me in the land of uprightness. In other words, David wants to be led in proper paths. Basically, he's saying, Lord, would you keep me out of trouble? Would you, would you help me go on the right path? When you find me walking down kind of this road that I shouldn't go on, would you redirect me? And for a lot of us, it's really our, our mental side of things, right? We find ourselves kind of going down the wrong path whether it's bitterness or lust or whatever it could be, and then asking God, would you redirect me? Would you get me off that path? And so this ties into Psalm 23, verse three. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So really that instruction being teachable. All right, verse 11, we have our 11th theme here, and that's revival. Notice, revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. So asking God to revive you. Now notice the focus is on the Lord. 
right? Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Not revive me because I'm pretty awesome and I really do the great thing. No, it's none of that. It's revive me because of who you are. And so this is blessed for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake, ties into, I believe, what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Not my will, but your will be done. That, that's the attitude. So if you and I say to God, hey, would you revive me so that I might be a blessing to others? Would you revive me so that I might be a blessing to you? I believe that's a prayer God wants to answer. But if we say, well, would you revive me because I just want things to be my way? I don't think that's what, how God moves. And, and so it's important for us, if we want revival, to want it for his sake, for it to love God and to love others. And then finally, Verse 12, and this may seem like the outlier for us in this, these themes, it's retribution on enemies. Retribution on enemies. Verse 12, notice, in your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. So this is a radical thing. So, so what David is saying here, and, and we kind of have to put ourselves in David's sandals for a minute. Because it's easy for us in the situation in which we live to kind of forget about, well, what was David encountering? Well, David lived in a time in human history where, and, and in a country he's in where he's constantly at battle, where there's enemies all around. There's people who want to destroy him. There's people who want to destroy his people. And so the destruction of unrepentant enemies, please hear me, the destruction of the unrepentant enemies of God is a mercy to the people of God. The destruction of unrepentant enemies of God is a mercy to the people of God. If you don't believe me, then go and read the Old Testament. <laughs> go and read where these enemies of God were coming against God, I'm sorry, coming against the people of God, and God destroys them in his mercy. And that's how it is in the end. We celebrate, we look forward to the book of Revelation because of the culmination of all things, the wrapping up of things, the new heaven, the new earth. But what's gonna happen before that is the enemies of God are going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire forevermore. That's the reality of the scripture. That's not something that we've made up. And so on this kind of difficult theme, this is what Bible commentator, his last name is Barnes, writes, quote, the destruction of the wicked is a favor to the universe. Just as the arrest and punishment of a robber is a mercy to society, to mankind, just as every prison is a display of mercy as well as justice, mercy to society at large, justice to the offenders. If you and I were taken and oppressed by somebody, we were enslaved and imprisoned, and we were treated horribly, and, and the, the law enforcement came in and killed our oppressor, we would view that as a mercy. We would view that as, oh, yes, I've been set free. And that's what we have here. And, and so, yes, as we, we're praying for our enemies, we're praying that God would save them, we're praying that God would bring them to, to himself. But, you know, there's also a time to pray of, Lord, Lord, if it's your will, take out these people. If it's your will, take them down because they are causing havoc. They are destroying the lives of people. It's a difficult subject, but it's something that we shouldn't shy away from, but that we should study the scriptures and really seek to understand this. All right, that, let, that brings us to our, our next psalm, and we're going to move through this psalm quickly, Psalm 144. I've entitled this psalm Greatest Hits because what it actually is, it's sections from different psalms that are kind of put together. Now, when I was growing up and you actually had to have physical copies of music, you know, cassettes or CDs, you would buy these greatest hits. 
You didn't want to buy, you know, all of their music. You just wanted the best of their music. We have it so easy with streaming music today. It's not how it always was. And so we have here in Psalm 144 is David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's kind of taken some of his greatest hits and just kind of putting them together. So we have here in verses one and two, notice, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. And so David is, is, is praising the Lord here. He's, he's honoring the Lord here as the one who prepares him for battle, as the one who gives him strength and protection. And this is important for us because we are in a spiritual battle. We've gone through it many times, you know, Ephesians chapter six and the armor of God and the enemies are, are not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So, so every day is a day of battle. Every day we're fighting the good fight of faith. And so to, to praise God and thank God that he's the one who prepares us, that he's the one who enables us to fight this battle. And, and so really what I get from verses one and two is the importance of trusting in the Lord. Just trusting the Lord. And so in prayer, asking God for help, asking him for instruction, asking him for direction, and to realize that he's the one we should trust. Verses three and four says, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you're mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And so this is a reminder that man's life on earth is fleeting. And it's amazing that God would take notice of us, that we're so fleeting. It's funny, I, I, Brandy and I like to watch different sports documentaries. And you know, people take sports way too seriously, myself included. But they say things like, if you win this tournament, they'll remember you forever. No, <laughs> they won't. Maybe some people will remember you for a year or five years or maybe even 10 years. But once you get past that, people don't remember that anymore. It's silly. And, and so what we have to remind ourselves is to have some humility, have some perspective that our life is fleeting. And here, but here's what's wonderful about that perspective. God is infinite, and yet he's concerned about our short earthly lives. The fact that the infinite God would care about us is amazing, but not only that, not only is he interested in our short earthly lives, he's interested in us living with him forever. So we don't have time to turn there, but I would encourage you to, to look up 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. It's, it's about the rapture of the church. But what I love is the last part of that. It says that once we're raptured, once we go to be with the Lord, it says we'll be with the Lord forever. And it's just beautiful that, 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 you know, once we go to heaven, the Lord's never gonna say, well, look at the time. You guys should be going home now. <laughs> that once we go to heaven, we can stay with him always. He's never gonna get tired of us. He's never gonna kick us out. That's a beautiful thing. So that helps us to put our short earthly lives in perspective, realizing that what awaits for us is eternity with God. A very, very encouraging thought. All right, let's move on now to verses five through eight. It says, bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke, flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is, is a right hand of falsehood. And so this is vivid imagery of, of God asking David to come down and destroy his enemies, to help him win the battle, to, to get them out of here. And as you kind of you think about this, um, our minds should be taken to the book of Revelation, 
right? And the judgments that God is going to bring upon a, a world that's uh, an enemy to him, who he's reached out to. He sent out his prophets over and over again to try to draw them to himself. But the time's going to come where they're going to finally refuse um, ultimately, and he's going to pour out his judgment upon, upon this fallen world. Now, verses 9 and 10, it shifts. It says, I will sing a new song to you, O Lord. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. And so, so here we have songs of praise, but, but notice it's songs of praise as a proper response for deliverance. So God had delivered David, and so because he had delivered him, he was going to praise him. We know that's really what we do. When we worship God through song, what we're doing is we're worshiping God for how he's delivered us, right? How he's delivered us from our sin, how he's delivered us from these troubles in the past, how he's gonna deliver us in the future, how he's gonna deliver us from death unto life. All of those things, so it's a proper response. When, so when God delivers us in whatever the situation, a proper response is praise. Now verses 11 through 15, we'll wrap up this psalm. It says, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and from whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood that our sons may grow, may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So David is really, he's kind of like praying for peace and prosperity. This is kind of a utopian scene here. There's something in the heart of man that wants that, that desires that. But unfortunately, fallen man thinks, well, if we just have bigger government, we'll fix this. Or if we just drove electric cars, we'd fix this. Or if we just did this, or if we just did this. And so man thinks that without God, by his own initiative, he can figure out this thing. It's not going to happen. Verses 11 through 15 will come to pass in the millennial kingdom. When Christ comes back to rule and reign, this will be a reality in the millennial kingdom. And so verses 11 through 15 probably sparks something in your heart. There's something in your heart that says amen to these verses. The good news is for you as a believer, you're going to experience this. You're going to get to experience this time. And I just want to share one verse before we move into our conclusion that ties to the millennial kingdom. It's a prophecy. Isaiah 11, verse 6, goes like this. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. So that's in your future. That's in my future. That's something to look forward to as we move through this challenging life. And so as we wrap up our time, I want to leave you with three reminders taken from our study. Number one, remember that God is personal and that we have a personal relationship with him. That, that's the root of prayer is that I'm in relationship with this infinite God who desires to have relationship with me, not only now, but forever. Number two, remember that you can talk with God about anything and everything. There's nothing off limits. God can handle it. And if you talk with God about something and that your heart is wrong, then guess what? He's gonna change you. <laughs> He's gonna work on you. He's gonna convict you. So I would encourage you to seek to have the closest relationship with God possible, closer than with any human being. 
God should be the closest person in your life. And then thirdly and finally, please always remember that God loves you. And we've heard that so many times that it's easy for it to become this, this little throwaway saying, oh, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But no, that, that's fundamental, God loves you. Because if God were personal and you could have a personal relationship with you, but he hated you, it's trouble. And, and it may be, if, if you could talk to God about anything and everything, but he hated you, that's no good. But the fact that God loves you and he wants to have a personal relationship with you and you can talk about anything, that, that puts everything in its place. So don't forget that God loves you and he's displayed that love for you by Christ dying on the cross. Let's pray.